and welcome to the next installment of Mandate. We're excited to be here with you today. We have a special guest. This guy is awesome. You're going to love everything he has to say. Sit tight. Hey, this is Joe Obermuller. I'm joined, as always, by my friend Ben Grush. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing well, Joe Obermuller. Today we're uh, joined by uh, one of our great friends. Um, this guy is... One of the most gregarious, creative, kind guys that I know. I'm super excited that he's here today with us. I, and I don't, I, I have no idea what the conversation is going to do today. I think one thing that I've learned during my friendship with Phil is when the, when the guy picks something to go in on, he goes deep, which is very fun. We've got to go deep on a couple different things that we enjoy or you've brought one or both of us into that you enjoy and sometimes you have some wild ideas yeah they they can get a little wild but sometimes they've been very fun much like our fascination with f1 racing f1 racing but and i think that that's where for what you've always said right you know if you're going to do like a real transparent ongoing relationship there has to be depth there and which you know i think is what you guys are aiming at is is what does that look like for dudes today middle-aged dudes millennial dudes grandpa dudes and uh you know how that society is really needing that Mm -hmm. and there's not really a conduit for that so that beautiful voice you're hearing right now is our good friend phil ellerbrook hey thanks for being here phil thank you joe hey give us um give us a little background what who are you what are you? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Elevator speech. Go. Elevator speech. Ready, go. Um, yeah. So I am just broached the 40th mark. So that means I'm a middle-aged male yeah, right. m- most of the time. And uh, I live here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I've known you guys for the last, you know, many, many, many years, five years. Um, mm. I am married uh, to a wonderful lady named Laura. And then we have three kiddos, uh, seven, uh, Brighton seven, and Juliana five, and then a one-year-old, Roman. Um, I'm a sales guy, so I've always been in sales. I went to school for communications and then have been trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And while I do that, I, I've sold stuff from my first job was selling washers and dryers corporately for Maytag. <laughs> and then uh, I had a pretty good run in, in real estate from like 05 to, you know, when the market changed in Arizona and then uh, got into IT. So I've been in IT for last while, like probably decade. And then I uh, did a run on some, some companies and a little bit of entrepreneurship. And that led me to, you know, one of the big similarities that we all have is a, is a, a genetic thread around a local for-profit Christian university, which is USF, University of Sioux Falls, where Joe currently uh, runs the show, literally, in, <laughs> in the theater department. So I've never heard it that way. I, I like that. That was really good. Run yeah. the show. And then, you know, Ben was obviously in, in operations and administrations and uh, all that all that good stuff. And so. you've taught. You've taught there. I That's did, right. I did teach We've there. all taught there. We, oh, yeah, you did too. That's right. Which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and then, so, yeah, that's that's me, you know? So you're a, like I said in the intro, you're a very gregarious, winsome kind of guy. Mm. Um you're the kind of guy that would make me really excited about 
uh, Maytag washers and dryers. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's what I did on Saturdays when I was a single guy, just, I would go to the, the floor of the mom and pop shop and I'd talk about arc of agitations and did you know this refrigerator? Arc of agitation. What? Arc, arc of agitation. Uh, this, oh, this arc of agitation. Yeah, the Maytag wash is so much easier because it has a 180 degree arc of agitation, whereas your Kenmore is 90 degree arc of agitation. And did you know that refrigerator there? The door is made of high impact polystyrene. That keeps your refrigerator more economically uh, uh, insulated. I can see the cue cards just flipping in your brain right now. It was bad. Like this stuff that you could just flip out. <laughs> The thing about Phil is that he can he can take the most mundane facts like the arc of Vagi- vegetation. <laughs> Let's go with that. He can talk about that and make me be like, that is the most important thing. And I really need to know that more. That's the, I need to know more about that. I arc. think a lot of people ended up just buying stuff because they wanted me to stop talking to them on a Saturday. So <laughs> I know. That's self deprecating and I don't think that's true. I agree. Well well, thank you. So, so Phil, let's uh, let's get into what is firing you up right now. Oh, what's that's one of the every time we get together, our families get together. Mm-hmm. You're great at asking mm-hmm. that question, mm-hmm. which is what we talk about, right, Joe? We're right. we're not in the business of sports and weather. We want to go deeper. We want to go further, and that's one of the good things that you ask. It's a great question that you usually ask when we're around. Is yeah. what do you what's charging you up? What's yeah. what's revving your engine right now? Yeah, so dude food. Dude food? Dude what does food. That mean? No, like what what you oh. want to talk about is dude food. You know what's oh, feed, yes. what's feeding us? Yeah. What's in what's in the brains? You were making a metaphor. I was so I was, I was lost. I was so literal. Yeah. I was like No, well, dude please food. Please go further. Stuff that we need to chew on. So, yeah, Beef jerky. <laughs> you know, so obviously 40 years old, right? So work is a big part and being a dad is a big part, but um yeah, so I mean for me Trying to figure out kind of, I'm getting to like that midlife crisis stage. And so a couple years ago, I think like a lot of people, you start to go, oh, you know, we had this context as, you know, Americans that we live, you know, on average 70 to 90 years, probably 80. So I think there's this internal timer that kind of goes off at 40, right? And and you start to think internally, okay, well... The first 40 years was about, you know, f- growing up and figuring things out and how do I not, you know, die? How do I get a job and pay my bills? And then now at 40, you're like, okay, I got that part pretty much figured out, right? I got a, I got a house and a car and a dog and, you know, all that, these responsibilities. But you get into these quintessential things of, you know, maybe what am I here for? And I don't know if a lot of guys actually go into that black hole because it's, it's pretty scary. Super scary. Right. Because like who, who's going to help me if I go down in there? Um, and how do I, you know, do I want to know what that is going to feel like and look like? And um, then you start to get into these, a lot of other uh, Neanderthal thoughts of like, well, what is after this life, right? And I think that that's where a lot of people, you know, start to have to think about, you know, what de- then you start to think about death and meaning. And there's just so much to all of that, right? At the same time, it just comes flying at you. But I, like most people, to get to the point... you know, have gotten to that a little bit. And it's been good because it's allowed me to go back to a foundation of faith that I grew up on, a Christian household faith, right? Which I, you know, have owned. And I know that's something that we share. Um, And I don't know how well that's pronounced in in the embodiment of this podcast. But for me, that is important. And um, so it's brought up this thesis that I've talked to you guys a little bit about. 
and one of my life goals, I think, is to maybe write a book around this concept of what I've called the three P's. That's kind of the first thing. It's not a book title, but and it's around purpose, passion, and provision. And there's been times, probably in the last few years through work or conversations that I've had where I'm starting to think a little bit more about those P's and what it means for legacy, what it means for eternity, um, and just overall purpose. So, you know, without diving into that too much, that's kind of, that's really, you know, I have all these other things that I like to do for fun and hobbies and, and things that take up my time, but really what matters to me and what I'm truly thinking about, my dude food right now is, is that. That's what I'm eating on and chewing on and figuring out. Yeah, I can, I mean, that is so cool to hear about that. I can attest to this because I recently turned 40 as well. And there is a, there is a shift in thinking uh, about all of those things you mentioned. And I, and I don't think that um, thought about mortality and, and suddenly, oh, I, I am going to die at some point, you know? And, and I don't know what it is. 40 is probably an ambiguous number. But there, there does seem to be more awareness of that, and I don't actually think that's a that's a primitive thought. I think that's written into the fabric of of being human, and um, and I think you're right. And it, this might be the most important thing that you said. We're at a moment now where there has been that shift, and you can. I, I think there's there's one of two things you can do. You can just kind of ignore that and not talk about that and keep doing what you're doing or whatever or you can step into the discomfort of saying huh i'm in this new place right now and i'm not it's it's exciting in some ways but scary in other ways and have i done have i fulfilled my purpose am i even am i even there yet midlife crisis ideas and i think you got to gather people around you that you love to be able to work through that stuff so uh, i i'm just excited that you brought that up and and i do want to dive deeper into that and kind of the inspiration behind the book and how that came to be and and what you think about those things yeah so i think one of the questions i would kind of toss back out to you guys and i'm generally curious not just a conversation stimulator but you know what what is that saying or where does that staying saying come from midlife crisis like the literal words i think i'll take a stab at that first it's it's the point at which all of the things that you thought were going to be true, all of those expectations about work and family and fatherhood and being a husband or, you know, whatever it is, your expectations of that in your youth meet reality. And there is some conflict there because most of the time, I would might go even, far, even so far as to say all of the time, those two things are not the same. And so that crisis happens when you, when suddenly you're confronted with that and you're past the point of dreaming about it. It's like, oh, one day this will be true. And then enough of those days go by where you're like, wait a second, my expectations for life and reality are not the same thing. <laughs> That's the crisis. What do you think, Ben? I, I could not have said it better. I'm not trying to be passive. I could not agree with Joe more than that. And so I come from a perspective where I think uh, my wife and I gravitate towards people that are more tenured on this globe. And so I think we come with the heart of, of learning and yearning for what you people that we've chose to be in our lives, what you've learned. 
and and how can you either make it better or or be okay with telling us where we can get better ourselves so i don't think that that's happened to me yet this this midlife crisis i agree with joe i don't think it's a i think it's an arbitrary number but it's something that i i would say is is pushing behind me that is kind of a a, a gust of wind behind me currently i know it's there mm. Because when you talk about passion and purpose, that's one thing that I've been conflicted with. I would I would think since I've known both of you, I think we we get into this conversation. Most times, we start to go deeper. Yeah, uh, and so I think I live with it every day. I just haven't had the open yeah. up your brain and and really think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Joe, you did a great job on on talking about the the crisis, and I've even dove into that word, focused right on crisis. You know, cri- when you think crisis, you're like emergency, urgency, right? You, it evokes these ancillary words that kind of bring clarity. Like, what does that really mean? What am I afraid of, right? And I don't think for me, it's like a fear per se, but it is a struggle. My question, on top of the first question, would be is is where do you think that those expectations come or came from and maybe you want to talk about it broadly you know when we're in our youth we have these expectations or maybe you take it literally you know where where did you sit in a room and you go okay this is what my life's going to look like and then now you compare it to now and it's like oh those don't match up can i go yeah uh i think you would i think there are a very select few very and i'm talking about the one percent that can actually do that that can actually sit in a room or some kind of space and be like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then they go out and do it. And now would that be at any age? Would yeah. that be at any age or would it be at a youthfulness? Call it, you know, adulthood 18. Yeah, I'll say that. I will start there. I would say, I think you can yearn to get it in age. You can, you can go after it. Doesn't matter what age you are, but I think it's quite the gift to be able to be in your teenage founda- foundational ages and be able to be like, I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. And, and this is where it's the 1%. It's not only is it going to give me happiness, but then I go through it and those people turn around and look at what they've done. And they say, yep, I did find happiness in that. I think that's a very unique skill set. Okay, so they might not be hand in hand. It might be like, yes, I'm going to go do that thing. But the motivation behind it might not be for happiness. It might be for what? Yeah, it might be for monetary Right there, it could be whatever motivates you, right? Fulfillment, right? Happiness, money. What other what other things would you be looking at? Purpose, purpose. And how do how do you create that? What's what's the word when you have all the circles? And then the, there's that one Olympic symbol. <laughs> <laughs> there's that triangle in the middle when you create. Three a circles. Venn diagram. Venn oh, jeez. There you. it is. Thank Out of you. the three of us, I knew it would be Joe. <laughs> Where do you... That's what I assume is the motivation for your book, right? Is to have all three of those combined. Yeah. I, yeah. There, there's a lot there. I think we'll kind of unravel that. But, yes. One thing that... This is very... The context for this conversation for me is, is very spiritual. And I think those three... That Venn diagram illustrates how I think about that, where the three cir- circles sort of represent mission or, or purpose. Um, uh, the second one is 
let me see if I can remember this mission or purpose. The second one would be like community. Um, I'm not going to think of the third one. I will in a minute, but at the center of that is, is something that's bigger. That center circle is something that's bigger than we are. Uh, and which is God for me, um, that there is, there is supernatural intervention in my life and direction in my life. And so I think anytime there's a striving and our, and our youth is so characterized by this, right? We're striving for something. We have a dream and we're striving for that thing. And, um, a lot of times those strivings, well, not a lot of times, all the time that those strivings aren't perfect. No one experiences just perfect happiness from their job or from their money or from their family or circumstances or whatever. And I think um, getting to a place where you, where you stop and you ask yourself, man, all these things that I thought were going to give me comfort or, or stability or happiness, none of those things actually do that. What is the thing? Um, and so that's, that's where I feel like I... I am now in a more, in a more uh, distinct way. Is thinking it, thinking about it that way. Yeah. So it's tough when you don't have a foundation of kind of like eternity, or if you believe in that, because otherwise the movie's only as long as the many the years that you're going to live, right? So I think when you start to think about, you know, the midlife crisis or what I'm gonna, what my what my legacy is, it's like well how long is my legacy going to last and why am I doing what I'm doing? And it, it, it opens up these really big questions, right? Uh, like we talked about at the top of the call, uh, top, top of the meeting. But um, so, yeah, that's, that's for, for me, it, it does start to get into the more of the faith and, you know, why am I here? Um, what's my purpose? What's the point of all of this? Right. Which I think from people from various different religions or lack of religions, all that's the, that's the inherent thing that every human wants to know is like, why am I here? And here meaning like physically and then it transfers into and for forever, what's what's my purpose? And, you know, when you look at social media and especially younger kids and every their identity is wrapped up, right, uh, in, in Facebook and Instagram and what they put out there, really what it is is it's a cry or it's a call to be recognized. And I would say not from a self-esteem point of view, but it's to themselves. It's to their trueness of, of their soul man that's saying, I want to be recognized or AKA I want to have a purpose. I, I want that. I want to be recognized, not from a pride standpoint, but I want my life to mean something, right? I want to leave a legacy or I want to have a purpose. Now they might not recognize that or be able to articulate it, but I think that there is that craving to ultimately understand what was the blueprint from my life from day one, whether I built it according to the blueprint or not. So that at the end of it all, it reached its final formation and purpose, right? You Like you look at any tree, right? You hold an apple seed in your hand, you put it in the ground, no matter what happens around that, it was always destined to be a full-blown apple tree, right? You can't change that. You might try to in its own way, but it's always going to be an apple tree, right? It's the genetics. It's the way that it was built and meant to be. And so... I think that that's ultimately what a lot of what I've been thinking about in, in this concept of the book is, is, um, and there's been some <clears throat> really impactful authors and speakers that I've stumbled upon 
in a timely fashion that have just ripped the top off of this mystery and have brought light, uh, in my perspective, uh, in truth and understanding, but in a, the most simple way to where you look at it, and you go, well, that's not that complex. I just wasn't aware. Um, and one of those was, is your goal in life isn't to create your purpose. You were born with a purpose. And for some people, they hear that and they're like, that's too obtuse. That's too big. That's too grandiose, but it's really not. Um, and it's, it's the first step towards, a, a, a like, you know, you hear about purpose-driven life or purpose-meaning life or leaving a legacy or an impact. Um, I think it's the first major concrete step to, to that journey is, is, is looking at that going, not what do I want to be? What was I created to be? If that makes any sense. So how have you experienced that, Phil? Yeah. So in some of these, and this will be my first kind of introduction, I've dropped this uh, onto you guys, but for the listeners that might listen to this, is uh, the most insightful man that I have heard on this topic uh, who brings a lot of this revelation from a, a Christian philosophy or background is this gentleman, Miles Monroe, uh, M-Y-L-E-S, and then Monroe, M-U-N-R-O-E. Um, and he was, he was from, um, the Bahamas and lived there and was a preacher, had a relatively small but successful church. And, uh, he was a, a business person, but at, at, he was the son of a preacher and grew up and I think he had like eight kids and, um, you can go out there and read and hear about him, but he and his wife, uh, and family, I believe all perished a couple years ago in a private, uh, private airplane crash. Uh, but the teachings that he brought forth, uh, books and podcasts I'm just feeding on right now. And there's so much revelation that comes from him. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of, you asked the question, like, how are you doing that? I'm doing it bit by bit. Cause every time I spend a minute with this guy, I get 10 more, 10 more questions or 10 more revelations, but he's really been talking about the big thing of a, a purpose and vision. And that's where this thing came out of, his big thesis, I think, this is my words, not his, is is when we start off in life, where we talked about that youthfulness, we just pick a direction based upon, you know, a financial plan or, you know, our parents want us to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And we go down this career path and we go down a job and we don't go down work. So his first introduction to Revelation for me was, is you have a job and work. And sometimes if you're blessed, those align but sometimes they don't. Perfect example, right? From a biblical standpoint, Jesus, what was his, what was his job? What do we know about Jesus? Woodworker. Woodworker, right? He did that for an income. That was a job. It was a financial means. Right. But was that, you know, was that purposeful to his work? No. What was his work? What was his business? Preaching the kingdom. Preaching the kingdom, right? How about Paul? What was his? He was a was fisher Paul? of men. Fisher was he men. a fisherman by trade? No, he was an apostle. What well, he ended up being an apostle. But what did, what what was Paul? He was a tent maker. Oh yeah, he was a tent he was sales not guy. One of the fishermen, right? So, you know, I think that there was this blurring, or there often is this blurring that your job and your work are the same thing, where in reality that's that's not it. Um, so. Your purpose may or may not be around your job, but so much of what, especially men in our society, 
we get wrapped up in our jobs because we see our job as fulfilling our purpose, which is to make money and to do all these things. And those things are all great, but that's not, that's not about our legacy. Why? Cause we're not going to take that financial stuff with us, right? We're not getting anything in eternity because of any of that stuff, but what, but the stuff that's around your work, AKA the purpose of why you were made is timeless, whether you're around or not your legacy. Right. And so that, that at 40, uh, has been the real look at it all. Like, yeah, you did this or you didn't do this or what have you, but what are you doing for your purpose? Not just your job. It's really great to think of it that way. And you, you guys both know that I've, I've talked to you guys many hours about how I view work and, uh, and how entrenched I was in the idea that work really was an identity and everything else, including my wife and children, come second. Even though I didn't articulate it quite as bluntly as that, that's really what what that meant. So I think a lot of people probably resonate with that idea of, e- even, if, even if they can't articulate it that way, it's like, wow, my work, my job, my job my has job. really mm-hmm. taken over. Yep. And that one thing that I think we can talk about through your journey specifically, Joe, because it has been somewhat <clears throat> what I would call magic, is because you f- you wrestled with it for so many years, right? Like like you said, we've talked about it for hours. However, it took years for you to come to that resolution, and I think this is this is the first year where I've seen that burden completely walk away from you like you have you you have fully embraced it and you have you've untethered yourself from some things you've latched on to other things right it's i don't think we have to be like okay i'm I'm walking away from that job and it can't mean anything i have to be fully invested over here with my family and my kids and my 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 worship or my religion or anything like that you Walking, just watching you untether from your job, just in terms of your emotional investment to it, I, I still feel as if your your physical investment in what you're doing is there, but your emotional self worth is not wrapped up in there anymore. And that what I'm the point I'm trying to make is that you can't just listen to a podcast or read a book. Or get some sound advice from a, from a friend, and it's just going to magically change. It is an evolve, evolved procedure that's going to take years and years and years, and it takes a good book, it takes a good podcast, it takes good friends to to slowly shave some of that away. That's right. Yeah, yeah, really well said, Ben. Um, it really takes the 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 commitment and really the faithfulness and steadfastness of friendship like this <laughs> in order f- for us to ever make any progress with any of these things. And, you know, so you guys have done that for me. My pastor's done that for me and with me, I should say with me. Um, uh, and and I, I appreciate that perspective because I do feel that. And it, it's one of the unintended positive outcomes of the pandemic too because that has changed True. so many things in our lives. Yeah. Uh, but but even doing this podcast for me is is some evidence of of that. Oh, there's 
there's room in my life to invest in other things and my job doesn't isn't the only thing that matters or defines me so still important still important right important to you important for you it's part of my work i really like how you articulated that yeah right that was genius yeah you don't just scratch the job part off and you know go into the work i mean you might but and yeah to echo what what ben had said my observations and tangible milestones which are important to reflect upon like this podcast like you know i don't want to do that and and you might not have a logic or reason why you you're having that inner inner passion fire which we'll talk about here in a second it's just there why because that was there from day one in your blueprint you just didn't know it you hadn't rolled that part of the blueprint open far enough to know that you had to build that part for your purpose but another one you know that you look at is 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 you you preaching volunteering kind of kind of as a a fill-in role that's tremendous and it has nothing to do with work or, or or job but and i say that around that because, you know, when you shared with Ben and I, like how you were feeling about studying and how all that stuff came to you and, uh, you know, just it was it was easy. Right. So it it brings brings to recollection, you know, the scripture, my burden is easy. My yoke is light, you know, and for for people that don't or haven't heard that scripture from the Bible, it, it, it's referenced to, you know, cattle, right, where two cattle would be together and they would pull the the wooden beam that was strapped to their necks, right? And the that was called the yoke. And so if it, it was his yoke, meaning even though you have this burden, right? You have this this purpose, this job, this work, these things that are upon you, responsibilities as a, as a person, as a human, he'll make it easy and light for you. He'll pull the weight for you, right? And when you step into your, and this is a whole other area I could just go, do, go into, but the talents and the anointings, right? That's more of a spiritual word, which may be unfamiliar, but the talents that you have inside of you, in your case, to articulate a message, to command attention, right, as an entertainer, but in this case, to convey a message or to have a podcast to convey a message. Part of your purpose as you start to, you know, define it from the outside in, to me, it looks like you are, you are, a, you are a communicator, you are an articulator, you are a message bringer. And, uh, you know, that's part of your purpose, but for, you know, that's, that's your work, part of what you really do. Your job is very similar to that, right? In the industry that you're in and teaching others to do that as well. So you look at those two, but yeah. So to go back to that kind of the three P's purpose, passion, and provision, right? Kind of the thesis of this book is to round off some edges here is that when we're young, we look at the P's in the wrong order, or we don't even think about the three P's. We just think about one. I need to make, I need to make some moolah. I need to make some cash. I got to pay off some loan. I want to buy a car. I got to buy a ring. I got to, you know, whatever. And that's not bad, but it's short-sighted and it's narrow. So all of a sudden you, you create your blueprints and your identity around this, this thing. And to what you said, Ben, right? What's that motivation when you're sitting there? Unless you're 1%, you have guidance and whatever. You just, you know, well, this is what I do. This is what somebody coerced me into doing. This is what I thought I should do. I didn't know, so I just did nothing. Or when this is what I fell into. And all of a sudden, you're following 1P, which is maybe just provision. It's just a job, right? And it's there to make money. And maybe you're really successful at it. But it has nothing to do with purpose. And it really has nothing to do with passion. And so, you know, you're probably that person if you listen to that and you swallow hard and you get chills 
and I've been there. Uh, for me, one of the things that I wanted to, to, the quote, right, because I'm really big on quotes, was my amazing wife was uh, counseling this, you know, gal coming out of high school considering a, a degree in graphic design, of which my wife at that time was top of the food chain, like working in an agency, great customers, extremely talented, good financial income, like things are really, really well for her. And I could literally, you guys, take you to the intersection uh, on Camelback Road in, in, in Old Town Scottsdale. Uh, I could take you to the intersection when she said it because it just it, it, it impacted me and I wasn't even the audience, but I was in the car to hear her say this. And she goes, you know, just take, she's saying this to this younger gal. She, and, and the, this gal didn't really know at the time, but you know, the, in, that industry, a lot of creative demand put on you, a lot of stress timelines, right? And she, she was kind of burnt out, right? And I think too, it was a job, but you know, she hadn't been passionate, passionate about it for a while. So I think she was calloused a little bit when she said this in a loving way to this gal. She goes along the lines of just be careful what you get good at you'll end up doing it for the rest of your life. And it hit me like a bucket of cold water in my back. And I think it's because it hit my spirit and it realized, dude, you're, you're living your life for your job and you're not passionate about it at all. And what came rushing in at probably was like 32, maybe at that time, 30, 10 years ago, was just this feeling of like, oh, there's way more, there, there's, there's way more to this life that I haven't figured out. And, and it, it really started to make me think that was my midlife crisis. That was kind of my first nerve awakening of, of that, of wow. Even though that, that message wasn't delivered to me. And so that's, I think that if I had to go back to this whole, I don't even know if I'll end up being a book, maybe it will, right. It's through this that's coming out, but of that passion, there, there has to be a passion there. And then how does now, how does that passion support and interlace and work with purpose and then provision? So any, I don't know if that that opened up too much there, but. In true Phil fashion, um, he's getting me energized. Jump on the bus and that bus going fast. That's exciting, man. So I don't know if you guys, yes or no, but have you guys had that too where you, I mean, have you ever looked at the the three kind of P's, so to speak, as I call them: purpose, passion, and provision? I will. I'll take it away. I. I have wanted to stare down that dragon, but like you said, scary. Why so? Because I, I am I am in the exact person that you brought up that I feel like if I jump into that black hole. First of all, I don't even know what's. I don't know what the black hole even looks like. I know there's a black hole there. But this this podcast would be part of it, yep. Which is it's scary, right? And, but thankfully, I had a partner in right. it. But I don't, I don't, I would be too scared. Even though I know my my wife would want me to do it, I would have plenty of support yep. through friends, family. For me, it would be deciding what that would even look like. Right. Yeah. So it, right there, it, again, that's what I love about a lot of what I've read about. Dr. Monroe's writings is like, you have to just bake it down to the simplistic, right? Like, what do I like to do? And why is that important? Well, and I'm kind of jumping ahead here maybe, but if you're passionate about something, right? It's that age old saying that you hear all the time, right? That some of your family members said, like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, 
right? It's right. probably Mark Twain or somebody really smart like that, right? But it is true. Uh, and that's a heck of a lot easier to do when you're 18, right? When you have no other responsibilities. And I got to tell you guys, I'm like literally getting goosebumps because this is what I, in, in preparation for this, I went back to listen to some of these podcasts from doc, Dr. Monroe and Miles Monroe. And the thing he talks about in one of his last videos that I watched crosses over for the men audience out there uh, about why it's so important for you to find your purpose at a young age. Because what Adam did is Adam had his job. He had his purpose. He has work. And then he brought Eve to be a helper. And the, the message that Miles says is you as a man need to have it figured out because when she comes along, she's there to help you. And it's a huge burden when you're 40 years old and you realize you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing for God's purpose. And then how do you just simply hit reset, right? You, you know, because of the provision and the financial, I got responsibilities. And so he talks about that. And it's not to shame anybody that's in that because I would say 99% of the population is probably in that position, Right. Versus the 1% that you talked about where it's like, I'm 18 years old. I'm going to figure this part out. It might only be for the next couple of years, but I'm going to get this straightened out and focus on me so that I, that I can bring more to the table. But yeah, it was really it was really interesting to hear him talk about that and how it relates to the timing of everything and sequences. And this, this is it's not a formal template that has to be copied in every situation, right? Things are different, right? I, and I get that. But it is important for you to start off young about something that you're very passionate about that you could do for the rest of your life as a job, right? That will also enable you to reach your, your work, right? What we which we talked about. So you have your purpose, which is your eternal purpose, right? Like what's the legacy that I'm able to lead. And so the, 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 the perfect sequence I think in my mind now is, is when you're young, figure out what you're talented on, what you do really well, which is usually something that you love to do, right? They, they go hand in hand. And I believe God gives you the ability. He gives you the talent in order to be successful at something. And you might not be the highest paid in the industry, but guess what? If you become an expert and you become really good at it, you will have the provision part figured out. So passion, do what you're passionate about that can fulfill your purpose. And eventually you will have provision. Now, here's where we get really twisted, right? Which is the hardest part to all of this is provision may not be financial provision. That's right. It may not be. And that's a hard pill way to hard, swallow. Way hard for a man. Because what for is a man? What does that mean for for a, a man in a, in the Western civilized world? Correct. No question. <laughs> Correct. Because that or or, or uh, let's just say America. first world for first world nation that's been exposed America. to expectations or yeah. desires or yeah right. But but you're right. It's it's not it's not always pr- provision doesn't always mean translate to monetary wealth and no I think isn't it crazy though that all three of i guarantee all three of us thought when we when you first heard the word let's say a, a word bomb just fell provision immediately at least in my mind it was the money sign yeah that's yeah, what i absolutely. thought of and that's not which is why i didn't say it until the middle of the conversation because you got to get wrapped around that and then all of a sudden when you yank that carpet yeah. underneath nope. you're like oh i have my perspective wrong but it is it's but that that awareness is part of the growth part of the stretching and the right. breaking if you look at just the uh, another biblical example of that is when Jesus sent out the disciples and said, "Hey, you're going to go, you're going to go s- spread this message to all the nations, and d- you're not going to take anything with you, you're not going to take extra anything, you're not, gonna, you know." And it was like the whole point was, "You're going to rely on me and the and the provision that I will give you." Right. And that that might be money, might not be money, might be through the kindness of others, it might be through various circumstances. There's a whole list of that, but you're right, Ben. 
I definitely thought it. Yeah. Yeah. That's natural. That is baked into but Western civilization. When, when, going back to the top of the conversation again, when I asked you about those expectations, right? Whether it was somebody that put that on you or you put that in your own head, a lot of those expe- expectations about what your life's supposed to look like are provision based and not purpose based. Yeah, that's right. That's true. You got your house paid off by 45, right? Maybe 50. You know, you do this, you do that. Yeah, and I'm talking specifically, right, towards like um, uh, uh, the American audience, you know, or, you know, got one, one or two cars, you know, the white picket fence and the dog and, you know, all these kinds of things. But that's not necessarily provision. And I love the word provision because when you break it up into two words, what is it? Pro vision, good vision. So again, going back to Miles, I'm going to give credit where credit's due because the last thing I want to do is be uh, artificial and take somebody else's stuff and, and be a plagiarist. But that's what he talks about is a vision is a, 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 an image representation of what your purpose is. And when you can see what you're supposed to have for purpose, that's where it all begins understanding like what you're saying well what's what's that supposed to be and for me i i have found that the direct the most direct route to doing your purpose uh and figuring that out which is a big question is it starts with doing something that you love because god put that there as the secret sauce like that's the foundation he wanted you to love your work so much that you could pour into it because that's what mattered the most not pour into your job because that's what made the most money so all of a sudden yeah at 40 you're like God, is my career really representation of where my passion is at? I don't know. Because you're stuck in the job, not your work. Right. I'd say this has been a very enlightening conversation today, gentlemen. Um, As we move towards wrapping it up here, uh, we're recording this in December Mm. 2020. And uh, Christmas is coming up. What's one of your favorite Christmas traditions? In a sentence or less, unless you were just, were you just working on something over there, Ben? You look, you looked inspired before I asked that question. Uh, well, I was, I was getting the uh, how to reach us up again. Oh, but I'll, oh, I'll yeah. talk about that. I'll, okay. We'll talk about that later. But okay. go, go. Okay, okay. You keep so going. we'll answer the the your favorite Christmas tradition question. Uh, in, in a sentence or less, what's your favorite Christmas tradition, Phil? I would say the one that's probably the longest standing and uh, is we try to seek out Chinese food takeout for Christmas Eve night because we all know the, the craziness. What? Of, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you... I, think I, I like the way you said this. What? You we, seek it out? We seek it out. Do you pick a different place? Yeah, it depends if they're open or not. Right. <laughs> and, and that's that was before COVID, right? So, yeah, we try to find a, a good Chinese restaurant uh, for takeout, place the order, and then uh, go to church service, yeah, mm-hmm. and then swing by, pick it up, and come back home and uh, eat that while we, you know, laugh and get ready to maybe do presents and caroling. and. Hold on. Do you do presents? Christmas Eve? We do. Okay. Christmas Eve night? That's interesting. We do. Yes. Ben? Mine is gone, unfortunately. Oh, no. My favorite thing to do was growing up. 
uh, and even into college. But it was extinguished when when my parents left the Black Hills. They retired and moved to Texas. But every Christmas Eve, we would, at about 3 o'clock, we would load up the van, truck, Tahoe, whatever we were driving at the time. And this involved my wife, too, who eventually was a part of it. But we would all drive to Belfouche, quiet, only listening to Christmas music, which, like... One of my child's birthdays is the middle of November. And when that, the next day, that's when I start Christmas music because I have this infatuate, I have an emotional tie to Christmas music. So we would, in silence, drive up to my uncle's house who lives in Belfouche. And, uh, in silence or in silence in, listening? To in silence listening to Christmas oh, music. Okay. And I'm getting, I'm getting a little choked up because my, that uncle, um, has, uh, dementia. Yeah. now and is is starting to fade a little bit and so it's really sad because it's a really happy memory for me because he was just like he was he was like phil uh but but even to the next degree he was the guy that you looked at and you're like that's the mayor of the city and the guy owned a little boot store in the middle of belfouche south dakota oh you've told me about this 1200 people mm-hmm. so we'd go to his house and the only thing that was on the menu is clam chowder, which is disgusting. But you ate it because it was a tradition. The red or the white? White. Okay. And we would, it was the one time you were going to see that side of the family. And so you'd eat dinner. We, You know, you'd do the, the funny gift exchange, you know, where you get a number and it goes around. This is way longer than a sentence. It's worth it. And then you would, you would drive home. And even as a, as a grown man with a wife... You would drive back in silence, listening to Christmas music, looking in the sky for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And that happened every Christmas for as long as I can remember until, you know, eventually my wife and I moved away and then my parents moved away. And uh, it's just, it's a near and dear memory of mine. Man, Ben, you got to write, that's like a, Hmm. you got to write that. Well, it's published now. It is published now, but I'm thinking that is a, f- you know, those like picture books that you got to write that story. I agree. Like a pop up. Well, picture you don't book have or? to go that far, but if you wanted to do that, it would be pretty cool. And then in the back, there'd be a clam chowder recipe. Right. <laughs> Which I would hate. I would have to be like, I would have to put the most gross one out there. A lot of people love it. Yeah. I don't. I try to. E- I try it every year. You gotta, you gotta figure out a way to bring a, the essence of that, of that memory back. You're right, because obviously you can't do, you know, like so many things in our lives, can't do them forever or the same way. Right. Clearly, that's meaningful. Yeah. Create experience. that environment. Yeah. I love it. All right, Joe. Can I'll, you do it in one sentence? I can. Like Phil. I used to open uh, Christmas presents Christmas Eve mm. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, and which was always a really exciting thing for me. So it was like, go to Christmas Eve worship service, drive around town, look at Christmas lights, go home, open presents. Now, I married a wonderful woman who did not do it that way. And you know when you get married, you, you adopt new traditions, right? It took me a while to do this, but I have now adopted the tradition of waking up Christmas morning and and that 
that family time of just being together, giving each other those gifts, try and remember, you know, the difference between the, the gift giving and, uh, and that's really fun and exciting. Uh, and also the reason why we celebrate Christmas and just kind of doing that as a family. That's, I love that. So I'm looking forward to that. Thanks guys. This was awesome. It was good. Thanks uh, for asking ben, me to come in. Jeff. Yeah. There's uh there's going to be folks I know that want to shoot us an email or get in touch with us somehow. Yep. So you can reach us, uh, shoot us an email, mandate.pod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on the gram at mandate pod. So we're excited to got a couple pictures. We're gonna gonna socialize uh, and show everyone that in a COVID environment, this is how you do a podcast. Phil, thanks for being with us today. Awesome to hear from you. Yeah, this is good. So good. Great way to spend the lunch hour with y'all. All right. Hey, thanks for being with us, folks. We'll see you next time on Mandate. Peace.